This episode of the History Files is brought to you by Audible. Visit audibletrial.com/historyfiles to start your free trial membership. Many, many years ago. Building of human rights. The guns at Malta evoke again the echo. In June 1948, all road and rail communication. Some things just aren't easy to explain. The History Files. We bring history to you. Welcome to episode 79 of the History Files, coming to you from the first week of December 2016 here in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. of A. Yep, it's Christmas time already. The days have become mighty short. It's dark by 4.30 here and latitude 48, which means more of our recording is happening after the chickens have gone to bed. So in case you were wondering why you haven't been hearing the occasional background comments from our alpha rooster Max, that is why. We don't notice him. <laughs> we certainly don't notice him. Uh, but I forget to mention that our cheapo microphone picks up background noise like bad cats, macho roosters, uh, etc. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Pe- several people have asked what the what the deal is with the rooster special effect. It's like it's not a special effect. That's just our rooster. <laughs> it's a rooster out in, in, the out in the yard. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We don't have a fancy studio. We're just recording in our house. And we live in the country on five acres, and we have a lot of animals, and sometimes they guest star on the podcast. <laughs> yes, specifically roosters. Yeah. Anyway, before we go into uh, today's topic, let's look at a couple of things in the media. This is Hollywood. Sporting cast of thousands. What else came of my trip to the library? Romance, education, entertainment. First of all, a couple of friends have recommended that we take a look at a nice series on Netflix called The Crown. It's all about uh, Queen Elizabeth II, and it's about her early years when she first came to the throne. And, ah, shoot, I should have written this down. I can't remember who stars as Elizabeth, but uh, as Prince Philip, we have Matt Smith of Doctor Who fame. Um, Oh, that's a good fit. Yeah, he's a wonderful actor. And uh, it should be, it should be really interesting. So we're just we just finished up Westworld tonight a few minutes ago. So I think well, the next thing we'll probably be looking at is the Crown. I tell you, I had a conversation with that guy though, Prince Philip. Yes. Oh, the real Prince Philip. Yes, I actually had Actual, a conversation with his him. Royal Highness. Yes, I did. Oh yes, when was that? 1983. Oh, that's right, because they were touring around the country, and that was when you were working at Sutter's, Sutter's Fort. Fort in Sacramento, California, and the Queen came over. On some kind of a tour. Yeah, she wanted to, well, Ronald Reagan invited uh, invited her to visit California, and she said, I want to see that history place, that history program in Sacramento. Wow. So that must have been a security uh, It was a security situation. Nightmare. It was yeah. fun. Very interesting. I learned a lot. Uh, and it, it was a good thing that my little two-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, had already gotten her social security number because that caused the FBI quite a bit of consternation that a two-year-old was involved in this living history program. Oh, that's right, because didn't they do, like, they were going down the security roster and checking off names, and 
this one says this this docent is two years old. That can't be right. It's like, no. Yes. George Stammer John, who was running the program, mm-hmm. said, nope, she's two years old. Right? No, no, no. Well, you don't understand. How old is she? She's two. two. Check out the social security number. It says she's two. So my <laughs> wonderful daughter, Elizabeth, got to have... Extra attention from the FBI. <laughs> Didn't she get extra attention from one of the ladies in waiting, too? She did, because they asked her what her name was. Because she was, what, two and a half or so. And she said, you know, they said, what's your name? She said, Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, how very nice. <laughs> I've got a great picture of her tugging at her mother's uh, hand, trying to run over and say the ni- see the nice lady. Who happens to, to be, be the, the other Elizabeth? Yes, the other Elizabeth who happened to be in, you know, there at the time. So that was very cool. But anyway, yes. So my daughter Elizabeth was mm-hmm. having a grand time mm-hmm. running around in her little Bo Peep outfit mm-hmm. and playing 1846 at Sutter's Fort in Sacramento. Yay! Yes. Anyway, meeting the Queen and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of extra history that yeah. you get to hear about that I usually don't brag too much about. Yeah, but that's cool. So, and then also in the media, again, we mentioned in our last couple of episodes, we now have a YouTube channel, so go check it out. It's Bad Cat Productions over on YouTube. We don't have a tidy URL for that yet, and we won't until we get up to 100 subscribers. So subscribe. If you come and watch one of the videos, go ahead and subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't get spammed by anything. It just it just um, helps helps us out a little bit in our findability, and it'll help us get to where we can have a real URL. I don't know. The one that is there is kind of cool. The Holzegrigoy. Yeah. yeah, it looks it looks like Welsh or Czech or something, but. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely give that a look. See, in fact, when we get to 100 subscribers, I'm gonna pick a random subscriber out of an electronic hat, and we'll send out somebody a nice History Files mug or something. So we'll do a little drawing. So that's a little bit of incentive to get to get our numbers up there. History lives again. I'm a cocky cowboy, a cocky cowboy, conceited as can be. I'm a cocky cowboy, and all the gals agree they just don't come any cockier than me. So, the last two episodes of our cowboy extravaganza, we were talking very much about the antecedents of the cowboys and the historical cowboy or should I say the cowboy in history. Now we're going to talk a little bit about more of the mythology of the cowboy, uh, what he has come to be, and how he got there, how he got to be that mythological character. And so, um, you know, the, the cowboy as he existed, even starting in the 1870s, as I had said before, he became the subject of dime novels, this really cheap pulp fiction. And the cowboys would read these and say, oh, well, if the cowboys in these are wearing high boots with Mexican spurs and red sashes, I guess that means we have to, too. Right, high heels and pointy toes and conchos and... Yeah, and low slung pistols. Right. Got to have my Colt. I can't. Those I can't guys carry are a cool. I want to look like them. Yeah. Um, so that continued. So there was um, some cross pollinization. Right. And there were also early stage shows in the East, oh, uh, right. the Wild West. And one of the heroes of that, a fellow that um, 
he wasn't the producer, he was one of the actors, but he really got a taste for it, was a real, honest-to-gosh frontiersman uh, who got the name Buffalo Bill. His real name was William F. Cody, and he was never a cowboy, but he was definitely a Westerner. He'd been a Pony Express rider in 1859, and... Uh, he got his name Buffalo Bill because he was supplying buffalo meat in the form of dead carcasses um, to the crews of the Union Pacific Railroad and during the late 1860s uh, in the post, early post-Civil War period when they were building the Transcontinental Railroad. Um, in fact, he chased one, to prove a point, he chased one right up to the camp <laughs> of the Union Pacific uh, railroad workers and shot the buffalo right then and there just to show that he he could do this. Now, he was unusual in that most of the buffalo hunters by this time used stands and they took their big sharps rifles or whatever and would fire from a sitting position using cross sticks to steady their rifles and they'd just go out and find bunch of buffalo milling about grazing and shoot them. Yeah, and they not even a blind. They just oh. sit on a hill and blast them. And if they shot them right, shot them through the lungs, then the beast would just sort of look around and wonder what happened. And when his fall lungs filled full of blood, he'd fall over dead. And they could just keep that up as long as they didn't make a bad shot. The um, Buffalo Bill, however, continued in the old style that the Indians and the uh, New Mexicans had done of of shooting buffalo from a running horse. And he used this 1866 pattern trapdoor rifle, which is a really long gun. It has a 39-inch barrel. Oh, my goodness. And he used this thing. He called it and Lucrezia Borgia. And he's balancing that while on a moving horse. On a moving horse re- and reloading it while he's... Now, the earlier guys had used muzzle loaders from a running horse, which takes some serious skill. Um, even what he was doing took an incredible skill. Anyway, Buffalo Bill, he was a, a real live, interesting scout, and he got a taste for showmanship. So, um, yeah, Buffalo Bill. So he had a Wild West show, Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. You can find all kinds of great um, images online of the amazing posters and playbills they had for the show. And there's mm-hmm. actually, I think, at that at uh, the Library of Congress website, um, uh, what's it called, American Memory, I think, there are some old, uh, there are a few right, little short films film. of some of the some of the scenes, some of the vignettes that they did at the mm-hmm. Well West Show. And it's just, you know, liter- almost, you know, cast of hundreds, if not thousands. Oh, yeah, very insane. much hundreds. And he had, he reenacted <clears throat> the Battle of the Little Bighorn and with the original participants, <laughs> at least on the Indian side, most right. of the most of the participants on the cavalry side were dead. But he got the original participants wow. on the Indian side. And... Um, yeah. And he had his Congress of Rough Riders, which included, of course, American cowboys, but also Mexican vaqueros, Cossacks, um, Mongols, all kinds of crazy people. So it wasn't just a cowboy show. This what, was this amazing, is... basically, frontier. He was showcasing these the, 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 the 
the final years of all these horseback cultures yes, absolutely. From around the world. Yeah, his his uh, Comanche and Sioux and Cheyenne horsemen, his um, yeah his cowboys, his Texas and Montana cowboys, and um, all these guys, his Congress of Rough Riders, so and he, they were good. He his famous costume uniform basically was you know over the knee. Um, boots right. and a and a, a f- amazing light color. I don't know if it was white or light gray hat. And of mm-hmm. course, he had his beautiful flowing hair and his big mustache and white mustache and goatee. But it was blonde first. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> so were you. So was yours. So was mine. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, if you were blonde as a baby and then you went brunette and now you're blonde again. That's me. Yeah. And then, uh, but also a big old fringed jacket. Right. Now. Where did the fashion of a fringe jacket or fringe shirt come from in cowboy culture? I mean, is it a it was a adopted? Thing? Oh, very much. It was adopted from the Eastern Indians who had been using it, and the the frontiersmen in the Wild West of the 1700s had adopted this fashion of the fringed buckskins that continued west. The Western Plains Indians, who a lot of them, I don't. I, I, I don't know exactly where all of the transfer comes in, but Southern Plains Indians used fringe, but the Northern Plains Indians didn't. So like the Comanches had fringed buckskins, but I'm not sure where they got it, if that was original. Huh. to. It. What about like the Athabascans and the farther um, north? I know they certainly did in, you know, post-contact stuff. And, okay. and in the period of Hudson's Bay Company, mm. uh, they certainly used a lot of fringe stuff, but... The very early uh, war shirts and whatnot that I've seen from like the Sioux and Cheyenne don't have fringe. They're very different. But the cowboy, the cowboy's clothing in a lot of ways comes from two, as I said before, it comes from two different angles. It comes from the West, the Appalachian frontiersmen moving West and from the the Appalachians and from the, the deep South West into Texas and from the Mexican culture moving North and east, from north from Mexico and east from California. And you end up with leather clothing, leather jackets, very much fringed, mm-hmm. but short. So the fringe design comes from uh, either from the, the uh, Appalachian frontier or perhaps from the Comanches. I, I'm not even quite sure. But then the shortness comes from the Mexican influence. Like the short, shorter jackets, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and just the wearing of a vest or something like that seems to come from that. And at some point, by the time you get to like the nineteen forties and the nineteen fifties, you've got calico and you know basically cotton shirts with that same buckskin style design right. that yoke and a fringe on them, yeah. but they're made out of cotton fabric, you know, calicos or pleasures. And you're like, what the heck? That just it just becomes its own thing that it. It's like it's a vestigial buckskin shirt, but it's not made out of buckskin anymore. Yeah, and now it's, like it's all loud cotton. colors and and crazy chainette yeah. fringe. And but it's it's fashion. Fashion and, evolves. Yeah. But back to the Wild West show, one, one mm-hmm. of the really interesting things is that they moved by train and they moved they went uh, toured all over the United States. They also toured all over Europe. Mm-hmm. And one of the really fascinating things is they got so good at breaking down at night, loading their entire set, which included all these um, uh, 
seats and whatnot. Oh, they had their own bleachers. They and had their own, too? brought their own bleachers and stuff. And then and these, these complete, tents. these complete, like complete Indian villages right. and stockades and, and all these set pieces. And they knock it down in the evening, load it in a train, move it 10, 20, 40, whatever, 100 miles, unload it, set it up and be ready to go by that afternoon. Holy cow. They were so efficient that the German army <laughs> in the 1880s studied them. They sent officers with the Wild West show as it went through Germany to study their efficiency. Wow. And so all these German plans for World War One were based on their study of the Wild West show. Oh, no. So anyway, I thought that was really cool that they they were, you know, this, this for-profit outfit was so efficient that it impressed the German army. Well, having worked in theater and in film, I can testify that there are many similarities between those disciplines and, and army life, especially when oh, you're yeah. on location on a film. It's like being in the, in the army. The same. It's very, very similar. Except without a lot of the stupidity. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's less stupidity and a lot of less lead going downrange. <laughs> Yeah, it depends, yeah. Generally yeah, speaking. Generally speaking. Yeah. But yeah, Buffalo Bill, he's he definitely set the um set the stage, as it were, mm-hmm. for a lot of the the mythology mm-hmm. that comes about. And his wasn't the only Wild West show. There was nope. his, there was Pawnee, uh, Pawnee Bill. Bill. And later on you get up into the twentieth century, even all the way up to like the one oh one ranch. How late did one oh one ranch go? Boy. Well into the 30s and 40s. Now, and I know they started in 1907. Okay. And that was a stationary? That was a place, the 101 Ranch? Or did they tour around also? They toured around. I believe so. I know that they had the 101 Ranch and it was a, 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 play, a, a, a place to go, but I'm, I believe and they how toured. Did it, was it on like Highway 101 or No, no. Or? No, it was in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Um, but one of the things that the um, 101 Ranch did, though, is it, it really featured – some fascinating people who, again, help with the cowboy mythology. One of them is Bill Pickett, who was probably the most fav- famous uh, African-American cowboy in, um, in the United States, certainly, during that whole period. And Bill Pickett became famous for what they called bulldogging. And he, as a young man, a young cowboy, noticed that you know, they'd send bulldogs, literally, you send a bulldog in to, to uh, chase down a bull, it would grab, the bulldogs would grab a bull by the lip ah. and wrestle it to the ground because the lip is very, very sensitive. You know, the lip or the so nose. So the lip or the nose, not the ear. Not the ear. Okay. Um, and so Bill Pickett tried it. <laughs> He said, well, they, well he, they can do it. I can do it. Well, he bit a, bit a bull on the lip and yeah, knocked and, it down. And, doc, you know, basically rolled over with it and rolled it to the ground. Um, Ow. It sort of got modified a little bit, a little less dangerous by merely jumping off your horse onto its horns and wrestling it to the ground that way. No biting. But, yeah. <laughs> but Bill Pickett, he was world famous for this bulldogging. Um he was uh, of mixed African-American and Cherokee ancestry. Turns out he actually had to uh, sometimes claim that he was a Comanche in order to take part in, in rodeos, though, because Why not? because they didn't allow Negroes. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. Huh. So black people weren't, you know, not allowed to. They could certainly come and watch, but they weren't allowed to participate. So he claimed that he was a. 
uh, Cherokee on. or, or well, no, he was a Cherokee. He claimed to be like Comanche or uh, sure. anything else. So well, if you look at, I was just looking at some pictures of him, and he he has has very um, aquiline features. Yeah, he's got very strong features. So he doesn't have like a broad what I what some people would call it a broad Aboriginal kind of face. He doesn't, he doesn't have, yeah, he, uh, he doesn't look West African at no, all. No, so he could really, he could He pass. had a very aquiline nose. Yeah. Uh, very dark, but he's still, yeah. anyway, and I think a lot of it too was, he was so good, people would just say, oh, yeah. okay, you're you're a Comanche, yeah. cool. All right, that works. Yeah. <laughs> no, good for him. Hey. These are the rules. Let's see how we can break them. You did what you had to. Yeah. Okay, well, so there were so there were famous cowboys who came out of that whole Wild West show circuit, and, right? And then we transition into silent film, well, and talkies. And the one to do that is Tom Mix because he Mix. he straddled both. In fact, he came out of the One Hundred One Ranch. Oh, um, I, he was a working cowboy. He joined the army during the Spanish American War. He was not a rough rider. His unit never got overseas. He oh, okay. was not with the Rough Riders, at least according to what I have read. There's claims that he was, and there's claims that he wasn't. But he seems to have just gotten a furlough and wandered off and not bothered to go back. So officially, he was a deserter, but nobody seemed to really care. As he, you know, they were demobilizing every anyway, sure. so nobody paid much attention to it. But he became quite the famous cowboy with the One One Ranch, and <clears throat> then he got into. Silent films. Sure. And he's the one that, as far as I can tell, really, really solidified this image of the cowboy in the, you know, in the American psyche. Well, the Tom Mix hat. I mean, there's a whole hat block shape that's named after that's him. It's a Tom Mix the hat. Tom Mix hat. It's a big old, you know, a 10-gallon type hat with a big old, right. roll, big old roll brim. And everything he did, he did, did with gusto and larger than life. Like his hat. He was a personality. He was, he was a he, big personality. Was he know. the Wooly Shaps guy or am I thinking of... You're thinking of William S. Hart. Hart, yeah. But both of... William S. Hart's another good one, although he was a... A professionally trained Shakespearean actor, um, but he also used well. Like I said about in the other episode, he used Charlie Seringo as his uh, as his uh, you know <laughs> guy on the ground to tell him what to do. Oh, that's right. His historical advisor. Um, but both he and Tom Mix took Hart was more interested in. In preserving the reality, you know the old, the, the 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 historicality okay. of the cowboy. Uh, so more, every, he played more everyman types, right? And Mix was very much into the theater of it and the good guys and the, the bad guys, flamboyant, heroic, right? And black and white, the black hats and the white hats, okay. and um, the 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 films that he did, you knew exactly who was who. Tom Mix films, I mean, boy, he. He not I'm sorry not Tom Mix the uh, uh, William S Hart. There's some anti-hero stuff going on with with, with William X, S Hart. Like in was it Hell Dorado? Um, he's a good guy, but there's an edge. It's a very interesting interesting film. And William S Hart was an interesting guy. Tom Mix was fascinating too. There's a great photograph I've seen of him um, with his wearing his Tom Mix hat. He's in his you know sort of semi fringed. I mean, they're not buckskins, but they got fringe on mm-hmm. them. Um, 
with spangles and whatnot, uh, his uh, double pistol rig and his boots, and he's riding a motorcycle. I've seen that picture. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Now, wasn't he friends with Wyatt Earp? Was uh, he comics, or did he know him? Yes, yes, as far as I understand, because Wyatt Earp, after he left Tombstone with, um, what was her name? The Boy, I can't even remember her name. Anyway, they ended up in Alaska. Yeah. He was a bartender in Alaska, and then they moved to Southern California. Well, the Earps were, you know, they went to these boom towns, towns yeah. that were just starting up, and they just, like, surveyed the scenery and took advantage and made their money off of the the rubes and mm-hmm. made, their, made their money and left. And he... Uh, they were in Southern California, and they got tapped for some information. He got tapped, you know, as uh, for background info. Now it's oh, for as like as a consultant, consultant. about mm-hmm. the Wild West. Well, yeah. he'd be the guy. Now here's an interesting bit of information for you, uh, and that is that he is in fact buried in the cemetery Josephine. in yeah, Josephine, Josie. right? Josie that was his wife, yeah. um, but he was buried in the. Cemetery in Colma, mm-hmm. south of San Francisco. Nobody can find it. Nobody can find his gravestone because he's buried with his wife in the Jewish section. Oh, right, right. She was Jewish. So, so, you so have everyone to, goes there looking for his gravestone. You can't find it. You have to go to the Jewish quarter. Got to go quarter. to the Jewish quarter. Yeah, the Jewish section of the, of the cemetery because his wife, Ju- Josie, was Jewish. Interesting right. little bit of... of yeah. uh, Diversity going on there. So, so let's get back to the this whole ev- uh, the progression from real cowboy cowboys and cowboy stuff to cowboy culture as it starts to crystallize in the twentieth century. And we yeah ha- we have to get to this. We have to talk about this bugaboo. <laughs> Where the heck did the buscadero rig come from? And please explain to those people who don't know their gun leather what a buscadero rig is and why okay. it's so horrible. The buscadero rig is the classic 1950s and 60s cowboy belt and holster where you have your low-slung belt, uh, a slot cut on the a Well, it's, got, right like a, side. it's got a lobe right. coming out of the belt. Right, a lobe coming down yeah. to the belt on the right side or both sides if you're two-gunning it, and a slot cut in there. And the holster, um, the, the back skirt of the holster is sort of threaded through there. And so your pistol ends up riding very, very low on your hip, actually on, on your, your leg, leg. Yeah. and then it has to be tied down. Now, as far as I know, there weren't a lot of guys who tied their pistols to their leg. The first low-slung holster I, I've seen that follows this kind of thing actually is the Model 1912 U.S. Army holster for a 45 automatic. It has nothing to do with a revolver. It's for a 45 automatic. Um, it's a full flap holster, but it ties, and it does have a tie down. It's, it's got it's got a yeah, it's got a little buckle. And for, was that for cab guys or yes? Okay. But I mean, everybody was issued okay. versions thereof, but they were definitely low on the on the leg. And it also has a flap. It's over got a flap. It, so yep. because people don't think about it, if you're standing up with a buscadero rig, all's well and good. But if it's just a holster where the gun just slots in there and there's no flap, and you sit down, your gun's just going to fall right out. Or if you're riding a galloping horse it's gonna and bounce out. the thing isn't really tight, it's going to bounce out. Yeah. Um, the first there's, – there's one photo of a guy named Commodore Perry Owens who had this double 
cartridge belt. It held both 4570 rounds, which were huge, and the pistol rounds, 45 pistol rounds. So he had a double row? Right, double row oh going around his, his waist. And he's got his holster, looks like it's sewn to the bottom of the belt. Okay, because there's no way it would be big enough to fly, to go that's over wild. it. That's wild. Yeah. That's the first one, and that's from like 1880-something. Hmm. The next one you see is like Tom Mix. Which would be in the 20s or 30s? Teens. Oh, teens. Okay. It'd be in the teens. And for theatrical purposes. Theatrical. And so they, it's not a Mexican thing. It's not a... It just sort of came... Somebody it, came up with hazy. it. It's hazy. It could be Mexican. I mean, it's called a buscadero. It right. could possibly have um, some uh, antecedents in northern Mexico, but it seems to appear somewhere in the teens. Um, the pictures I've seen of like Mexican revolutionaries and Mexican cowboys and vaqueros, they're still using uh, what they call a Mexican loop holster over their cartridge belt. Mm. And most cowboys are still using that. When they're carrying a right. pistol, even into the 20s and 30s, they're carrying a... They're still often using the old Colt single actions, but it's looped over the cartridge belt, and it's riding very high. And a Mexican loop, that's the holster that's all one piece, yep. and it just kind of folds up and over, and then it has slots cut in for the, the part of the holster that holds the gun right. to thread back the, into it. It's, yep. I'm not describing it very yeah, well. Yeah, for the, whole, the, the barrel yeah. pipe basically. Oh, here's a book recommendation and I'll put it in the show notes. If you want to look at all the gun leather ever and learn what all the different types are, get a copy of Packing Iron. It's a nice, looks like a coffee table book. It's a big old hardback. It is magnificent. all about gun leather, historical, mostly Western American gun leather. And bonus, it has all kinds of just pictures of people in it, too. Mm -hmm. So it's a great costume history reference. And there's just a lot of history history in it. It's Mm -hmm. a really, really, really good book. It shows both military and the civilian Mm -hmm. stuff from the late, let's see, late, early 19th century. (laughs) So I Mm -hmm. guess basically starting in the 1830s or so. Uh, on to about the 1930s. Yeah. And, really it, and it even has oddball stuff like, shoot, what was that one with the metal little nubbin? The, oh, the Bridgeport rig. Bridgeport rig. Which is basically just a... Uh, you basically the, attach The screw, a, for, the yeah. hammer screw for a Colt single action is extended with a big, like a button yeah, end. Yeah, like a Chicago stud. Yeah, and it snaps and then on your into belt, a... Yeah, there's a little metal slot thing. Slot. So it's just hanging there, swinging yep. on this little stud. And you can swing it around and shoot from while well, it's still on there. Or right, you can... it just pivots like it's on a little like it's on a little pivot. So, yeah. Yeah, we, I don't know how often that got used, but an interesting idea. Yeah. So, yeah, Packing Iron. Okay. It's definitely a a marvelous book. I highly recommend it. So this Buscadero rig, again, it, for whatever reason, becomes a standard in the... TV westerns. TV westerns. It's seen, not always, though. It's not... It gets more and more common in the 20s and 30s. It doesn't really become standard until the 1950s. Mm -hmm. There was a guy named... Alvaro something or other. I can't even remember. Anyway, he was into fast draw and mm. he developed this holster that had a metal plate in it that would uh, come out in front of the barrel 
so that when you're doing fast draw in with a blank, of course, if you fired it while it was still in the holster, it would you keep. It would bl- yeah, the blast would go away from your 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 skin That's from like your leg. It's like CC training wheels on your holster. Yeah, but it keeps you from blasting holes I in your know, thighs. But dude, well, part of the thing with the fast draw though was that sane people pull the pistol out of the holster, cock it, and shoot. Right. These guys were cocking it while it's still in the holster and pulling it out. That's like pulling your pants down and then running for the outhouse. Yeah, well, more dangerous than that. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes about as much sense. But the... Anyways, is is this this fellow really popularized that. He made the gun leather and all the cool guy cowboy stars had to have the latest, coolest thing that had nothing to do with history. Yeah. And everything to do with fashion. Well, I'll definitely put a link to a Buscadero rig in the in the show notes, or if I'm lucky, I'll find a picture for the header. But the um, it's it's basically when you're watching a movie or a TV show that purports to be historically accurate, and it takes place in the 19th century or earlier, and you see a Buscadero rig, you know you're looking at lazy prop people and lazy armorers because mm-hmm. it's just it's basically it's the hallmark of of inaccuracy right it's it's a it's a real red flag because they just didn't it it would be like seeing a calico fringe shirt on somebody in the 1880s or something it's like no i'm sorry that's tv western crap and i'll I'll say one thing for john wayne and even though he had some kind of funky musing stuff yeah in his the films that were his films he never wore a buscadero rig he always had his pistol belt loop his pistol looped over the belt and he always wore it high and like sort of over his kidney Mm -hmm. which is where a real cowboy wore his pistol oh uh, interesting i i can't think of the actor's name but is a guy in in, uh, westworld who plays lawrence he's one of the hosts he also played a goofy character on justified uh, he's a wonderful actor. Apparently, the gun rig he's wearing in Westworld was his grandfather's gun rig that he wore in movies with John Wayne. Oh, neat! So little, he just he thought that would be awesome to to carry that through. And, yeah, and, good for uh, him. Which then puts me in mind of, and we've mentioned him before, but um, oh, I always forget his name. Darn, his son's name is Matt. Son's son's oh. man. Um, um. <laughs> He was in Rough Riders, and he was in Tombstone. And he was in... Uh, He's a um, character actor. Gunsmoke. He played the uh, young deputy in Gunsmoke. Uh, and He's been around a while. Anyway, he always brings his own guns to a mm-hmm. Western, and it's always a pair of Merwin and Holberts. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of his name. He played Turkey Creek Jackson in Tombstone. Yep. Matt is his son's name. <laughs> And Adam was the older one that got Matt, killed. Yeah. Okay, we can think of his kid's name, but we can't oh, think boy. of his name. That's terrible. And, oh, Buck Taylor. Buck Taylor. And his father is Dub Taylor. Okay. okay. Dub Ta- they're all character actors from way back when. Yeah. Dub Taylor. Everybody's seen Dub Taylor. Um, Matt, uh, yeah, Buck Taylor. You know, he was the, the, the replacement for Chester in uh, Tombstone. Oh, okay. And uh, so he's been around. He's been around a long time. Good, good guy. Real nice guy. Good artist too. Yes. yes. Very nice artist. Yeah, it was funny when you were working on Rough Riders. It was um, they did that. It was a TNT. um, um, They did it as a 
when they first aired it, they did it was basically a mini mini. It was two nights worth of movie. I think mm-hmm. it was three hours each night. And you can find a version on YouTube where they've edited it down to like two and a half hours for the whole thing or whatever. It basically is a feature film. But anyway, it was on TNT. It was the story of Teddy Roosevelt and the and his Rough Riders and how that all came to be. And Buck Taylor was in it. A lot of people were in it. And anyway, you guys did that in, in basically two chunks. You did a you did a chunk of filming down on the coast of Texas, right? Right, down in Conroe, Conroe. near Houston. And then you had a little bit of a break, and then the whole production moved up to near... To Bandera. Bandera, which Bandera. is just outside of San, San Antonio. Antonio. Yeah. And in between, in that, in that one or two week t- downtime, I guess Buck Taylor went home and did some paintings. Yeah. Of, from some of the images that he shot in Conroe, and he what had he already sold them, or he had yeah, he had already, galleries already by the time he showed up for the second yeah, a good chunk one of, of filming. Of Tommy Dipple, Tommy our Dipple. buddy Tommy Dipple. Yeah. Anyway, oh, that's apropos of nothing. So, <laughs> Just uh, reminiscing. Sorry yeah, about that, folks. We went off on a tangent, so. Well, we should probably wind this up before we go too much longer. So there are still cowboys today. Mm-hmm. They're not quite as colorful, and now you don't see the big hats and the and the high heeled boots. And most cowboys don't ride the range on horse. No. They do it from trucks and helicopters. Well, or, or quads, which is the worst thing. I uh, was just, yuck. in fact, a couple of days ago chatting with a fellow who I admired his Packers. These nice, uh, those are lace up cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. And I said, so, do you ride? And he said, well, I haven't in a long time, not since I was in, a kid in Montana. And I said, oh, well, do you ride when you go home? He said, no, they use bleep, bleep, bleep quads these days. Nobody rides a horse. Uh, so we had this long discussion about the disgusting use of modern, <laughs> you know, oily, stinky machines in the place of good old sweaty horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and we railed against the machine. Good, as you should. As we should. But real cowboys still do use horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's places where you cannot get a machine that you have to go into to get those those cattle out of some... Sticky countryside. Bottom lands and stuff where, and, and, and canyons where you can't get a quad. Or if you can get a quad, it'll kill you by rolling over on you. Yeah, those things are dangerous. Horses are much smarter than quads. Mm-hmm. Horses are mules. And difference is, though, is that in the downtime, you don't have to feed them. <laughs> well, this is true. You can just park a quad in the barn and forget about it. Yeah, never trading to something that eats. That's what old yeah. Bob Erickson told me. Oh, now but, there is a topic for an episode. Yep. We could talk for a whole half hour just about Bob Erickson. Bob Erickson, yeah. The Swedish Texas cowboy. <laughs> that would be him, yeah. speaking of being on Rough Riders. Yeah. So cowboys are still out there. Uh, you go to Nevada, you go to Arizona, Wyoming, Utah. Uh, Mexico. Mexico. We've known some very interesting people from Mexico recent, in the recent years who, in fact, one of them just moved back there. He moved back home because to work the ranch. he uh, bought a lot of land for his father who wanted to run cattle, and then he went back to help him. And uh, excellent horsemen, and that's oh, yeah. the thing. Uh, a lot of the American cowboys are just, you know, and it's sad because their idea of being on a horse is for about 10 minutes. Right. Uh, and a vaquero... Caro's going to, he spends his time. Mm-hmm. He spends his time on his horse. Mm-hmm. So real cowboying is alive and well in Latin America. 
In this country, they don't wear big hats and high heel boots anymore. It's all baseball hats and tennis shoes. Yeah, well, they don't want to be mistaken for truck drivers, so they wear tennis shoes. <laughs> and that's another joke. <laughs> so they're still out there. And okay. you just got to go a little further afield to find them. But you'll find them. And they're still laconic. Uh, they still are have a wry smile and weather-beaten face. And they're still all man and all woman, too. Mm-hmm. There's girl cowboys that are a lot tougher than I'll ever be. Yeah. And I, they have nothing but my respect. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in this week, everybody. Show notes for this episode can be found at psychon.fm slash THF79. If you enjoy this show, be sure to check out our other fine shows in the Psycon Network. Let's see. This week, Coffee with Jeff is all about the Hunley. Oh, neat. Civil War submarine. So, the first submarine to actually sink an enemy vessel. That's right. It, it wasn't that's a super happy story, tonic. but hey, they, they got a job done. So and we had to start somewhere with that technology. So check that out. And uh, the History Files here wouldn't be possible without your support. We're especially grateful to our patrons who support us through our Patreon. You know who you are. Another way to help us out, no less important, is ratings and reviews. We really appreciate the stars or even short review at iTunes or wherever you get our shows. And our YouTube channel is growing slowly. We got a couple of new subscriptions this week. So if you get over there, be sure and subscribe so you don't miss out on video content as we launch it. YouTube has been messing around with their algorithms. So um, if your start page for YouTube, it used to be your start page, you could set it as you know your, the list of your subscriptions and now it's all funky and it just says recommended and you kind of have to scroll down or poke a button to get to your your particular subscriptions so don't let that fool you uh anyway check that out so help help us get up to 100 subscribers so we can get a real url oh let's see oh i did mention last week that i finally got up gordon's uh, gun talk from SteamCon 2009 that's up on youtube and the trailer for this show so uh We're going to slow down production a little bit as we get closer to Christmas and New Year's, and then we're going to fire back up in January. So uh, this month we might have a couple of more weeks where where it's just rehashing our Christmas specials from last year. But it's... Holiday but, season can get kind of crazy. But I would like to do at least one in the next week or so on Pearl Harbor. Because yes. that's the 75th anniversary coming up in just a couple of days. Yep, just us. a couple of days. So we will do that before before we go completely off, off radar. So anyway, that's it for this week. Great. Well, thanks again for joining us. And please join us again next week for another exciting episode of The History Files. The History Files is brought to you by Bad Cat Productions, a proud member of the SciCon Podcast Network. For show notes, more episodes, or to join the conversation on Slack, visit us at scicon.fm slash THF. We also invite you to consider supporting this and our other fine shows by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash where a pledge of even $1 a month will help keep us on the air. Bad cat. Meow.